Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of the Mile Higher Podcast. I'm your host, Josh, and joined with me is Janelle, producer. Hello. How are you doing? Great. How are you? Doing all right. I'm still still getting used to this whole no Kendall situation yeah. here. I like have to look over at her empty chair <laughs> sitting over there here. She is. And uh, yeah, she's not in it yet. <laughs> For those that are listening, she is not back. From maternity leave yet we're hoping we're uh, one week closer all right? yeah we are whenever we're one week closer is. whenever that time is i think it, it's going to be sooner than later which is good i miss her i'm sure all of you miss her on the show but i've been doing my very best to hold it down while she's been gone and hopefully i've been doing a pretty good job it's definitely a different dynamic especially on the show i'm so used to like bouncing things off of her that it's, i've had to get used to sort of doing it a little bit more solo obviously janelle's here too <laughs> but it's just a Kendall adds a lot to the show, I think. For sure. So excited to have her back here pretty soon. But today I'm going to be diving into a very interesting case that has a very, some different elements to it than some of the other cases we've covered. And specifically, the element of a private investigator. And this case, to me, just shows how important private investigators are that they exist. Because there are so many cases out there where the police just really don't do anything. Um, they do maybe an initial investigation, but as soon as they decide that, oh, maybe that person left on their own accord or they just don't have the resources to dedicate to a particular case, the case goes cold very quickly. It is shocking it is. how many cases we talk about where someone goes missing and the initial reaction is, oh, they probably left on their own. So, yeah, when sorry, when their whole family's like, there's no way this yeah. person left on their own accord. Like, there's just way out of character for them. And this is one of those cases where Kelly Bordeaux is her name. She disappeared and she was a very, very successful up and coming army officer. And it just was totally out of character for her to just disappear overnight. And a PI comes in and honestly solves this case. There's just no way that this case was probably going to be solved unless this particular PI came in and did the investigation that he did. And he went to great extremes to get this case solved. So this one is definitely a very important one to discuss. And we'll get into that here in just a second. But this episode of the Mile Higher Podcast is brought to you by Casefy, Pretty Litter, Babel, HelloFresh, and Favor. Also, MileHigherMerch.com. We restocked all sizes. So I believe we have most items still in stock. and almost all the sizes. So check that out if you haven't already. But with that being said, let's go ahead and just dive right into this case. We're going to begin by talking about Kelly Marie Henson Bordeaux, the victim in this case. Kelly was born on December 27, 1988 in St. Cloud, Florida to her parents, Jonna and Paul Henson. She had two older siblings, a brother named Matt and a sister named Olivia. As a child, Kelly was very rambunctious and just bubbly, just full of life. And that part of her personality really stayed with her throughout the entirety of her life. She was super easy to get along with, and everybody just loved her. She was also a very driven person. She always wanted to be the best version of herself, and she always pushed others to be their best versions of themselves too. Kelly had always been a beautiful girl, and she was known for being both beautiful inside and out. She was always laughing, and she wanted to make other people happy. She definitely strived for excellence. She wanted to encourage others to do great things. 
and it made her happy to see other people succeed. She really just felt good helping others better themselves. In high school, Kelly ran track and did cheerleading at St. Cloud High School. She was a very good student, and she got mostly A's. After high school, Kelly studied dental hygiene at Valencia College. But during 2010, she decided to make a big change in her future plans. Her driven personality made her a perfect fit for her next career choice, which was joining the military. At this point, her life was just beginning. She had everything going for her, including a fiancé that she was head over heels in love with. His name was Michael or Mike Bordeaux, and they met through mutual friends in St. Cloud. When they first started dating, they both said that they never planned on getting married. But when you find that special someone and fall in love, you know, things change. And they thought that their relationship would last forever. So they both changed their minds. And when Mike proposed, Kelly happily said yes. On June 12, 2010, when she was just 21, Kelly and Mike tied the knot. But this would turn out to be a pretty rocky marriage. When Kelly was 22, she officially enlisted in the United States Army. She was off at basic training in April 2011 when life dealt her two shocking blows. On May 12, 2011, Kelly's father, Paul, died suddenly of brain cancer. She was already reeling from the recent loss of her grandmother, too. And just when she thought life couldn't get any worse, it did. This next bit is all alleged. Apparently, he had had an affair with the wife of a mutual friend in he and Kelly's own bed. Plus, he'd started to drink pretty heavily, and Kelly was absolutely devastated by the news. And Kelly's mother, Jonna, was obviously furious that Mike cheated on her daughter. So she bought him a plane ticket back to his mom's place in California and kicked him out of the home. But regardless of whether or not the rumors are true, there were obviously problems in their marriage. Things just ultimately didn't work out, and Kelly and Mike separated. The first time Kelly and Mike had separated, she met another guy from her hometown named Justin Thompson. And the two of them started a relationship, and everything seemed to be going pretty well. Kelly was always easy to talk to, and she was just an all-around happy girl. After she completed basic training, she was shipped off to Fort Bragg in Fayetteville, North Carolina. And at this point, she was still seeing Justin, but Kelly didn't want to give up on her marriage to Mike that easily. To her, getting a divorce without giving the relationship another shot seemed like a failure, so she asked Mike to come with her. And while they were there, she decided to devote three more months to the relationship. Justin was pretty understanding of the situation, so he decided to give Kelly some space while she went to North Carolina. But Kelly wasn't just a highly motivated person. Again, she was super caring, so it seemed like a natural fit when Kelly started training at Fort Bragg to become an army medic. She wanted to make a difference and help others. Being a combat medic is a tough and demanding job that requires a lot of attention and skill, but helping others was a passion of Kelly's, so she really stepped up to the task. As a combat medic, Kelly attained the role of private first class. Meanwhile, her relationship with Mike wasn't getting any better, though. It was hard for him to find work since he had prior felony convictions for cocaine possession. He did end up getting some jobs in construction, though. Kelly tried her best, but she just couldn't do it anymore, and she wanted him to leave. She basically bought him a plane ticket home and told him to hit the bricks. So Mike left North Carolina and headed back to Florida, and Kelly told her sister that they were going to end their marriage and finally get a divorce. Then she called up Justin and asked him to come to North Carolina and move in with her. Justin said that he would. He knew that they were in love and they wanted to have a future together, so this seemed like the natural next step. After this, Kelly broke the news to Mike that she was really moving on from him this time. She admitted she had been seeing someone while they were separated for the first time, and he was back in her life again. She also encouraged him to start seeing other people too. So in early April of 2012, Justin decided to come visit Fayetteville. 
It was going to be a quick trip to visit the place he was about to call home with Kelly. And while Justin was on his visit, he got to spend some quality time with her, and he got to know the area. Kelly also took him to a bar in Fayetteville called Froggy Bottoms. She liked to unwind and have fun there after a hard day's work. Plus, Froggy Bottoms was less than a mile from her apartment. The bar had pool tables, karaoke, and of course, plenty of booze. It was definitely the hangout spot in the neighborhood. The bar was a favorite with the locals. The college students and young Fort Bragg soldiers usually went to other bars in the area, but since it was so close to Kelly's apartment, she figured it was an easy spot to hit after leaving the base. You could kind of call the bottoms a dive. She and Justin had a great time just chilling and drinking there. They also started chatting with a guy named Nick who worked at the bar. But Justin straight away just got bad vibes from this Nick guy. There's just something about him that just weirded him out. But Kelly was kind-hearted and she must not have gotten the same feeling Justin had. So she invited Nick over for a game of pool. And the three of them spent the rest of the night hanging out. At the end of the night, Nick asked Kelly for her number. She said yes. After all, she was new to the area and she thought it'd be good to know someone who worked at a bar close to her place. The whole interaction didn't seem too out of the ordinary and again, Kelly was a very friendly girl. From there, Kelly and Justin went back home to her place at the Meadowbrook Apartments and the next night they went back to Froggy Bottoms. It was the same deal that night, just drinking and Nick hanging around them. Justin thought he was paying a little too much attention to Kelly though, but they left Froggy Bottoms that night and came back to Kelly's apartment without any issues. Justin really enjoyed his visit to Fayetteville, but again it was a short trip. So he was only there for a few days before he was headed back home on a plane to Florida. But he wouldn't be missing his girlfriend for very long. Two weeks after he got back to Florida, he was already planning on coming back to Fayetteville. But this time he'd be moving in with Kelly and staying there permanently. Before we continue, we'll take a quick break and we'll be right back. I have a cat. Her name is Meatball. And she is a total goofball who I can always count you a Friday the 13th. Kelly went back to Froggy Bottoms. Before she left for the bar, she texted her sister a selfie of her outfit. She said she was headed to the Froggy Bottoms to let off some steam for a little bit. She wanted to get her mind off of work and Mike. She was also planning on having a couple drinks and doing karaoke. She also texted Justin and told him about her plans. Kelly said that she'd be going to the bar by herself, and that definitely made Justin nervous because Kelly was still new to the area. She really didn't know anybody very well and she didn't know her way around the area itself. The area around Froggy Bottoms wasn't the best to begin with, plus Justin was understandably nervous about Kelly being a pretty girl going to a bar alone. It just seemed a little bit risky. Kelly was a soldier and just overall complete badass, but she was still a very petite girl. She was only five foot one and she weighed less than 100 pounds, so she might have looked like an easy target for someone wanting to harm her. But Kelly told Justin that she already had a way of getting to the bar and a ride home. That guy, Nick, had agreed to pick her up at her complex and drive her back from Froggy Bottoms. Again, Justin didn't get the best feeling about this guy, but he trusted Kelly. Still, he did tell her that maybe she shouldn't go out that night. But Kelly still went to the bar anyway, and Justin told her to be careful. He also told her to have this Nick guy drop her off at the entrance to the apartment complex area, which was about a quarter mile from where her apartment actually was. That way, he wouldn't know the unit that she lived in. Justin's fears definitely simmered down throughout the night and he and Kelly had been texting back and forth frequently while she was at the bar. And during that time, Justin was actually at a concert in Orlando and to him, everything seemed normal. Then around 12.45 a.m., Justin got a text from Kelly saying, 
driving. A few minutes later, she sent a text that said, Call me ASAP. Another report states alternatively that at 12.46 a.m., Justin got a text saying, Oh well, Nick is driving me home now. I'm going to get out ASAP, call me. Some patrons at the bar reported seeing Kelly leave with Nick around 1.20 a.m. But at 1.24 a.m. that night, Justin got a weird text from Kelly. She wrote, Got home safe, I'm going to bed, I'm tired and drunk. Call me tomorrow? According to Justin, this text was just off. It didn't sound like something that Kelly had written. And that made him nervous again. So once he saw the text, he tried calling her. But the phone went straight to voicemail, meaning it was dead or turned off. And when this happened, Justin's heart sank. He knew that something bad had to have happened to her. And Olivia, Kelly's sister, went to bed early that night, so she wasn't really checking up on her sister's whereabouts. The next day, Olivia texted her sister and asked her how her night was. Kelly didn't answer, which this wasn't anything too unusual for them. They didn't talk every day, so Olivia figured her sister was just off enjoying her weekend. But Justin wasn't nearly as relaxed about the whole situation. He'd been trying to text and call his girlfriend all morning, but she wasn't answering. And this was making him really anxious. He told his mom that he didn't want to make a big deal out of the whole situation, but he couldn't help but feel like something was terribly wrong. I mean, after all, they were dating and deeply in love. Plus, they were about to move in together. So they obviously talked every day. And it was super unusual for Justin to not hear from her. Especially after she'd gone out alone the night before. Saturday came and went without any word from Kelly. And Justin couldn't fight those anxious feelings any longer. So on that Sunday, he called up the Fayetteville Police Department and told them his girlfriend was missing. But the police weren't any help. Justin called them over and over again, pleading with them to start looking for his missing girlfriend. But the police told them that they couldn't do anything until a family member called in and gave them a description of Kelly. At this point, Justin was at his wit's end. So the next day, that Monday, he called the Army base at Fort Bragg and asked if Kelly had shown up for work that day. The base said that she actually hadn't reported to morning roll call. By this point, one of Kelly's coworkers had actually contacted the police because she missed morning roll call without calling in. And this was super unlike Kelly. She was always on time and showed up to work, and she would never jeopardize her future with the Army by making a stupid mistake like just staying out all weekend. So from there, they decided that they needed to stop by Kelly's apartment. So when they got there and got inside and looked around, they discovered that Kelly wasn't there. Her car was still parked in the lot too. And that's when everyone realized something was very wrong. And they started to take Justin's concerns more seriously. So finally on that Monday, Kelly was officially listed as a missing person. The police passed on her info and details about where she was last seen, and they warned the public that they believed she was in grave danger. The police called up Mike since he and Kelly were still technically married. And from there, Mike called Kelly's sister Olivia. And the panic really started to set in. Olivia tried to send her sister a bunch of texts through Facebook Messenger, but Kelly didn't answer any of them. From there, she tried texting and calling her over and over again. She even tried to get in contact with people who worked with Kelly in the Army, but none of them had any idea where she had gone. At that point, Olivia was worried that her sister had been hurt and wasn't able to get in contact with her family. She and her brother even worried that Kelly had been kidnapped and desperately needed their help. So Olivia, Kelly's brother Matt, and Mike all headed to Fayetteville as fast as they could. They needed to find Kelly, and quick. The police talked to Kelly's family and friends and got a good idea of the kind of person she was, and that raised a lot of questions. Kelly was a responsible, hardworking girl in a disciplined job, 
she was required to be reliable and on time every day. And from what everyone at Fort Bragg told them, Kelly was a stellar soldier. She never slacked off, disappeared, or got into trouble. And Kelly wasn't facing any mental health problems or showed signs that she was in a crisis. Sure, ending her relationship with Mike was hard, but she really loved Justin. They were in a great relationship, and they were both excited about the future they were building together. And again, Justin was going to be moving in with her very soon. Plus, she always kept in regular contact with her family. She never just disappeared like this unless something terrible had happened. So the police knew at that point that Kelly was an endangered missing person. From there, a massive search for Kelly started. Tons of people from the local community set out to help find her. After all, she was in the army. So her fellow soldiers were pretty determined to help find one of their own. Officials from Fayetteville and Fort Bragg even offered up a $25,000 reward for any information that could lead police to Kelly. Hundreds of people volunteered to comb through the Fayetteville area every day, even though people looked high and low for Kelly. None of those volunteers found her. Still, the family held out hope that Kelly would come back home to them. They thought someone had taken Kelly, and they begged her captor to release her. We, we have no doubt Kelly's coming home. I love you, and uh, I can't wait to see you. Please let her go. Any, uh, I mean, I would just echo the same thing, you know, uh, you know, we expect to find her and, you know, God willing, it'll be today. We're not you know? leaving. All right. I, like I said many times, I'll be here. So, you know, whether the camera's here or not, I'll be here. So, I mean, the support here has really been um, just really overwhelming. You know, the amount of support that Fayetteville has given us, you know, so we we'll just want to thank the city, you know, for all their help. So just, you know, just that human aspect, you know, of anybody could have a cousin, daughter, you know, mother, whoever go missing. And you want to know that everybody would be there to help you. Uh, really just trying to stay positive, stay strong, stay focused on bringing Kelly back, you know, safe and sound. I can't even begin to imagine the feeling of, of a loved one or a family member just disappearing without a trace and mm. and just processing the fact that likely they did not disappear on their own accord, right? Like once you figure out that all of her stuff, her car is still at her apartment, Mm -hmm. you start realizing that the possibility of her being abducted by somebody is very high and just trying to hold on to hope. I mean, I can't even imagine just how hard that must've been. And it, it was pretty amazing to see, the Fayetteville community come out and really support Kelly's family and Justin in their search for her. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it was pretty incredible. A lot of, a lot of times that doesn't happen and family members are just kind of left all alone. But in this case, it's, it was pretty incredible to see the, the support they were able to rally. I mean, obviously it, um, her being a soldier definitely helped quite a bit. I mean, right there, they're going to go out there and find out what happened to her. But just the support from the community as well is just pretty incredible. They had so many volunteer searchers out there. They even had two, actually, who were bitten by disease ticks. One contracted Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and the other was diagnosed with Lyme disease. That's crazy. Ugh. But people pressed on because they were determined to find the missing soldier. Meanwhile, the police searched the area near where Kelly was last seen, and this included a search of a local pond. But unfortunately, nothing turned up. The police knew that someone had knowledge of what happened to Kelly. 
She obviously just didn't up and leave, and there must have been some sort of foul play involved. So now they had to narrow down a list of persons of interest. Here's a police talking about the case. You said yesterday she may be in danger at this time. Do you believe she's still in danger? Well, it's just um, the fact that no one has heard from us. The information we've received from her unit in command at Fort Bragg, uh, very good soldier, not the type of person that would come up uh, being AWOL or missing. So, and the fact that no one has heard from her since. And just to clarify on the cell phone towers, they were last ping sometime early Saturday morning? Uh, yes, ma'am. How would you classify the status of the investigation now? Do you have, are you close to having some persons of interest that, that you're talking to in here? Uh, we're currently working on that. Um, and we've got a large amount of folks that we've have to contact and interview due to uh, the location that she was last seen at. Right, right now, sir, it's a missing person case. Right now, it's still a missing person case. There is a lot that is not known at this time, and that is part of the active investigation. Would you classify it as foul play at this point? Uh, we classify it at this point as a missing person. Okay. We are searching from the area of Froggy Bottoms up on the north end of Ramsey Street along the I-295 corridor. And again, that's based on the fact that that was the last location where Mrs. Bordeaux was seen at. So obviously the police were trying to retrace her, her last steps and she was last seen at the Froggy Bottoms, which means they had to figure out who was all there. And that creates quite the list. But the other thing that police do in cases where you know a wife, husband goes missing is they look at the spouse and the police definitely investigated Mike Bordeaux. After all, he was her ex-husband and they're in the process of separating. So he was an obvious first choice for them to take a look at. But what raised some eyebrows for detectives was the way that Mike was talking about his relationship with Kelly. He told reporters that there weren't any problems in their marriage. Mike, as you well know, anytime there is a missing person case, the police must spend a certain amount of time concentrating on the people closest to the person who's missing. In this case, that would be you because you are her husband. What kind of direct conversations have you had with the police? What kind of blunt and direct questions have they asked you about any possible involvement in her disappearance? Um, well, they asked exactly where I was and when I got this phone call saying she was missing. And, you know, I was in Florida visiting my parents at this time. And uh, I got the phone call she was missing around on Monday. And um, I didn't think it was right because she always goes to work. I mean, she's a very responsible person. She would, she would not just call in and say she's not coming into work or anything like that. She, she would definitely go to work. So I didn't, I didn't like the whole situation. Let me just something ask, was fishy. Let me just ask a blunt question. There had been some early information that you and Kelly were estranged at the time she disappeared. Was there marital trouble between the two of you at the, at that time? No, 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 none, none at all. We were we were very happy. You know, we weren't getting a divorce, nothing like that. It, it, we, I was just visiting my parents for that. I was not. No, nothing was wrong with our marriage. So, like you just heard in that clip, Mike said, at the time she disappeared that the relationship was good, there was no marital problems, but obviously that wasn't true because Justin and Kelly were together and she was in the process of getting out of her relationship with Mike. 
His conflicting statements about their marriage made the police question him a lot more. But all of this did not stop Mike from searching for his wife. He was out there every day assisting volunteers and handing out missing persons flyers. Plus his alibi, which you just heard, was pretty airtight. He was in Florida visiting family when Kelly disappeared. The police were later able to confirm this using phone records and from speaking with his family and friends. The next person the police obviously had to take a look at was Justin. They thought that maybe jealousy or fight might have given him a motive to hurt Kelly. But again, Justin was in Florida still and his alibi was airtight. So it was time for the police to look elsewhere. Leads in the case were starting to dry up. Only about two weeks after Kelly went missing, the owner of Froggy Bottoms was actually arrested. But he was taken in on multiple outstanding warrants for failure to appear in court. Back in 2001, he had gotten a DUI and he never showed up for his hearings. He also owed over $400,000 in child support to three different women. So obviously this guy is sleazy, not a good look for him, but the charges had nothing to do with Kelly's disappearance. But there was another worker at the bar that the police started to suspect. That guy, Nick. He was the employee who was chatting with Justin and Kelly while he was visiting. The supposed employee was a 25-year-old man whose name was Nicholas Michael Holbert. He actually lived in a tent in a wooded area behind the bar. And it turns out Kelly was last seen leaving Froggy Bottoms with Nick on the night of the 13th. According to the owner, Nick was just a regular at the bar. And he didn't actually work there. That wasn't exactly true as it seems like the two of them had some sort of deal worked out and the owner paid Nick under the table to work as a barhand. Nick and Kelly had been seen hanging out and having drinks the night she went missing. That night they bought $28 worth of drinks, four shots and four beers. But the bar owner mentioned to the press that Nick didn't drink. So this would seemingly imply Kelly drank all four drinks, if he's right. When the police found out about this, they brought Nick in for questioning. According to Nick, Kelly had asked him for a ride to the bar and a ride home. He told the police that he went to Froggy Bottoms with her and they grabbed drinks together that night. Then he dropped her off about a quarter mile from her apartment at around 1 to 1.30 a.m. Here's Nick talking about dropping Kelly off. Bordeaux, a U.S. Army private first class, was last seen leaving a bar early Saturday morning. Nicholas Holbert says he gave her a ride from the bar and dropped her off about a quarter of a mile from her home. Around 1, 1.30, she's, she told me, she's like, I'm tired, I want to go home. I said, okay, so we got in the car and... As soon as, as soon as I pulled into Meadowbrook, she said, you can stop right here and let me out. I walk. Like you just heard a little bit there, Nick told ABC News that he drove Kelly to the Meadowbrook complex entrance. And then she said, stop right here. So Nick stopped and she said, I'll walk home. Nick said, are you sure? And she said, yeah. And then Nick said, I figured she didn't want me to know where she lived or somebody was there and she didn't want to be seen together. It didn't take long for people to find out that Nick Holbert is actually a convicted sex offender with bad anger issues. When he was 16, he was convicted of causing injury or gross bodily harm and two counts of taking indecent liberties with a five-year-old girl. Nick was classified as a high-risk aggravated sex offender, and he served around five and a half years in prison. In July of 2008, he was released. Those are some pretty big red flags. And of course, there's his previous conviction. But the fact that he was the last person to be seen with Kelly made him suspect number one. Jonna, Kelly's mom, actually talked to HLN and here's her talking about some of the biggest red flags in Nick's story. The, the police are saying this is some, there is some information we've gathered that makes us concerned for her safety. Um, that's from the uh, Fayetteville police. Have, what have they told you? Why did they say that? 
Um, I'm not exactly sure. They've told me that uh, they think someone picked her up and, you know, took her to the bar, and she had a good time at the bar and, you know, did karaoke and was just acting silly and having fun. And then supposedly uh, someone has, was going to give her a ride home from the bar. But that's where the story doesn't, I think, quite add up. That I don't think she got home from the bar, and supposedly the person that dropped her off, um, something supposedly spooked her in the car. He told them one time that something spooked her, that she didn't want to get out of the car, but yet she got out of the car, and that's the part I don't understand. If something spooked her, why would she get out of the car and go, you know, forward? Uh, you're but saying something spooked her about she, what? About the person the she was with? Wait, you I don't understand I don't understand the spooking. This might be important. You're saying when did something spook her? Supposedly when the guy that was giving her a ride home was taking her to her apartment. He got to her apartment and something spooked her. So she didn't want or she said, No, 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 just let me out here instead of taking her like around the corner to her apartment or, you know, whatever. But I don't understand that if someone creepy or was spooked her she wouldn't get out of the car when justin heard the news about nick he knew right away that he had definitely done something to kelly that last text he got at 1 a.m just didn't sit right with him to him it seemed like nick hurt kelly and sent that text to cover up the fact that kelly was actually gone the police searched nick's campsite and his car but they apparently didn't find any evidence plus he was very cooperative with the police when they questioned him so they let him go. Nick even spoke to reporters about Kelly's disappearance and admitted that he was the last person to see her. He said that he just wanted her to be found safe and sound. He even joined in on some of the volunteer search efforts to find Kelly. But just because the police let Nick go, it didn't mean they ruled him out in Kelly's disappearance. He was still considered a person of interest. Only about a week after she went missing, Nick was arrested on April 20th, but it wasn't for anything related to Kelly's disappearance. As a convicted sex offender, Nick was required to update the police every time he changed addresses, but he hadn't done that. So when the police found out, they arrested him. I have nothing to do with it. I, I picked her up and took her home that night. That's it. Holbert is now being held in jail on unrelated charges. A military official tells NBC News Bordeaux used her cell phone after leaving the bar, but gave no indication she was in trouble. Police say they have no suspects, but they're very concerned for Bordeaux's safety. Officials have searched woods and a nearby pond, but turned up nothing. My wife went missing last weekend. Bordeaux's husband, Mike, has been out with her family members, posting flyers and aiding in the search. Kelly and Mike Bordeaux have been married for two years. He was in Florida visiting family when his wife vanished. So because Nick was in jail, the police were able to question him about Kelly again. They even brought Nick down to Froggy Bottoms to see if he'd give up any info. And they did catch Nick in a few inconsistent statements. They knew he wasn't telling the truth. But still, that wasn't enough to have him arrested for Kelly's disappearance. So they let him go again. And Nick went back to jail to serve out his sentence for violating parole. They knew that if they wanted to nail him for murder, he needed to crack. Or they needed to find Kelly's body. As time went on, though, Nick stopped talking to the police. Days turned to weeks, and Olivia, Mike, and Matt went home to Florida. Kelly's disappearance seemed like a never-ending nightmare. Her brother remembered not being able to sleep for weeks, and all he could do was think about what could have happened to his sister. Here's a clip of Kelly's sister, Olivia. She's feisty. 
Um, but she's little, and, and she's my baby sister. I mean, I have to protect her. The three months without her sister have been anguishing. It's hard to protect somebody that you can't find, and that's what makes it most difficult is I can't protect her if I can't even find her. I think she's the best person in the world. Mike Bordeaux says he loves his wife. Very, very smart. She's talented. She's a good soldier. She's good at what she does. He says his mindset on finding her. The farther it goes along, the more it hurts because I don't know what happened. Kelly's best friend came from Florida. This is my time to prove to her that I appreciate everything that she's done for me in my life. I will be there for Kelly until the day that I die. They're grateful for the volunteers trying to find her. I want to say thank you for everybody who continues to show their support and give their Saturdays up to help, you know, to help us in our uh, our search for Kelly. Just bring her home. Please. Her family needs her. Despite Kelly being gone for months, the the community and her family never gave up hope. They kept searching for her hoping they would find something. And the police were supposedly continuing their investigation, which, again, all signs point to Nick, but there's just nothing that proves he had anything to do with her disappearance at this point. So the case was quickly going nowhere. The police just kept announcing that they had no new leads, and the situation was becoming seemingly more hopeless. But that's when someone else started searching for Kelly. It was a private investigator and bounty hunter named David Marshburn. He hadn't actually been contacted by the police or even Kelly's family. He'd just taken interest in the case and he wanted to try and solve it himself. David knew that there was no way Kelly was alive, but for her sake and the sake of her family, he wanted to bring her remains home. So he was pretty determined to find her. Obviously, just like the rest of us, he didn't believe Nick's story one bit. He just needed to find a way to link Nick to the murder, and that meant he needed to find Kelly's body, as he believed it was somewhere near Froggy Bottoms. But this area around Froggy Bottoms was huge. It's a huge area to search. It's all woods, nature, and finding Kelly was like searching for a needle in a haystack, but still he spent tons of his own time putting his investigation together. David hired an assistant named Marsha. He also got a specially trained search dog named Kaz. And the three of them searched the area for months, but nothing turned up. But in May of 2013, David got a huge break in his investigation. Nick Holbert had been recently released from jail after he failed to update his address. One day later, David showed up to a house Nick was staying at. To David, he was finally confronting Kelly's murderer, but he couldn't let Nick think that. He actually devised a plan to trick Nick into thinking that he was on his side. When David knocked on the door, Nick answered, and David told him he was a P.I., he said he was looking for Kelly Bordeaux. But he also lied and told Nick that he knew he was innocent. David told him that he wanted to clear Nick's name and show the world he wasn't a killer. David was very convincing and Nick bought the story. And now that Nick trusted him, David had an in to get more information out of him. By this point, David had gone to the police and told him about his private investigation. He also told them about how he had tricked Nick Holbert. The police told him that they couldn't stop him from doing that, so David was able to continue his work and investigation. David was also not part of the police department. That gave him a lot more leeway to do what he wanted in terms of investigating or tricking Nick Holbert. So a few months into David's investigation, he told Nick that the DA was willing to cut a deal in exchange for the location of Kelly's remains. 
David even doctored up fake plea bargain agreement papers to sell the story. As part of the fake deal, Nick would plead guilty to manslaughter and he'd only spend three or four years in jail and then go to a mental facility. David also put the name of a fake judge on the papers. Get this. The name was Justin F. Case. Get it? Justin Case? Which Nick pretty much bought the fake papers. He was so gullible and stupid that he'd even notice the fake name. It's honestly really funny. Yeah, smart too. Yeah, it is smart. He believed that these documents were actually real. But just when David thought he had them, Nick threw him for a loop. He looked at the documents and told David that even if he confessed, the court would just go back on their deal. At this point, David was absolutely convinced that Nick was the killer. But he didn't have enough proof to take him down. And that's when the plan got more intense. David had to pretend to be Nick's close friend so that he could really get into Nick's inner circle. David's relationship with his wife and young son took a hit during this whole process as he was devoting more and more of his free time to this mission. It hurt to know that these important relationships were suffering, but he knew he was getting closer and closer to bringing Kelly's killer to justice. David started training Nick to beers, meals, and at one point he even hired him to do some odd jobs. He was trying his best to act like a friend who just wanted to help him out through a tough time. David's obsession with solving the case cost him thousands of hours and almost $40,000 of his own money. It really drove him a little nuts. There were plenty of times where he wanted to give up, but there were also times that he wanted to do some crazy things to get answers out of Nick, like cut his fingers one by one until he told him the truth. But obviously that'd be illegal, and David didn't resort to doing that. Instead, he got creative once again. Nick was always paranoid that the police were watching him, so David used that to his advantage. He actually hired one of his friends to sit in his car and watch Nick's house, basically like an unmarked police vehicle. This really freaked Nick out, and his paranoia grew more intense by the day. Then David created fake documents indicting Nick for Kelly's murder, and then he had his own wife pose as a paralegal. She actually called up Nick and told him that they'd been tipped off that he was being indicted. At this point, Nick was actually getting really scared. He met up with David at the Froggy Bottoms to figure out his next steps, and David reminded him about the plea deal that was still on the table. At this point, David knew he was about to confess. The pressure was on, he just needed to push him one last time. So this is really interesting, but he picked up a nearby branch, like a tree branch, and started snapping off the twigs, one by one. In Nick's head, it started feeling like the ticking of a clock, and time was running out and he knew it. Finally, right before David snapped off that last twig, he looked up at David and confessed that he had killed Kelly Bordeaux. Then Nick told David that he'd take him to Kelly's body. So David picked up his tracking dog, Kaz, and they set out for the woods. They spent hours looking for the exact spot where Kelly was buried, but Kaz couldn't pick up a scent and it was starting to get dark. Nick explained that he couldn't remember exactly where Kelly was in those woods. At that point, it was getting dark, and they were all getting tired. It was getting difficult to see. So David put Nick up in a hotel and went home. The next morning, May 14, 2014, David picked up Nick from his hotel room. It was a miracle that Nick hadn't fled or even killed himself during those few hours that they were separated. But they still needed to find Kelly. Nick was quiet when they got back to the forest and he was having trouble remembering where he buried Kelly. He didn't show any real remorse for his crimes. Instead, he cracked jokes. At one point, he even chuckled and told David, no wonder no one can find her. I can't even find her. But that's when David suddenly saw a clearing in the woods. Kaz got excited and started sniffing towards it. 
Then over a patch of disturbed soil, Kaz laid down, which meant he had tracked the scent. David poked the soil with a metal pole and felt it shift under him, and he instantly knew that he had found Kelly. And he told her, quote, Baby girl, you are coming home. Finally, after two years, Kelly Bordeaux could be laid to rest, and her killer would finally face justice. But first, David had to confirm that her body was actually there, which meant that they had to start digging. David had actually been texting the Fayetteville police with updates on his progress. So when he and the team dug up a jacket and a human bone, the cops told them to stop digging, and police officers raced to the scene and detained Nick right away. Before we get into the official arrest and indictment of Nick, and take our last break, and we'll be right back. So because of that plea bargain papers that David presented to Nick, when Nick was arrested, he actually thought he was going to get a light sentence for the horrible murder he had just committed. When the police interrogated him, he told them the whole story, and he did it in a pretty casual way because he's like, oh, at this point, you know, might as well just tell him what happened. I'm going to get the deal that I want. According to Nick, he picked Kelly up and spent some time at Froggy Bottoms with her. And as they were leaving, someone told Kelly that Nick was a sex offender. Obviously, she was pretty shocked and angry. So while they were in the parking lot, Kelly swore at him and said something about his sex offender status that made him angry. Something like, fuck you, you fucking child molester. And apparently after she said that, Nick snapped and immediately hit her in the head and hard. And the force of this blow was so strong that it knocked Kelly out. Then Nick said he dragged an unconscious Kelly to the wooded area he was living in behind Froggy Bottoms. Once he got to his makeshift campsite, Kelly woke up. She was disoriented, and she had started to scream. And that's when Nick punched her, and this hit knocked her out again. And it was at that point Nick beat her to death. Nick then put her in his car and took her body deep into the woods. Then he buried her in a random clearing. Her remains were only a 10-minute drive from the bar. He also admitted to texting Justin off of Kelly's phone to hopefully try and cover up his crime, which Justin sniffed this out so early. But finally, after two years, Kelly's family got the news. They were still obviously holding out hope that Kelly would be brought home alive, but now at least they knew where she was and they'd be able to lay her to rest after 25 excruciating months of waiting. We never gave up on her and... I love her more than anything. And that bringing her home was something I promised her I would do. And I would never let her down. Olivia Cox will come through on that promise. She will bring her little sister home, just not the way she'd prayed for. I wanted her to come back smiling and laughing and hugging and... to get to meet the new members of our family and to continue to experience so much in life because she had so much to offer. Kelly Bordeaux was a soldier at Fort Bragg. She was last seen in April 2012 getting a ride home from a bar with Nicholas Holbert in Fayetteville, North Carolina. I will tell you that uh, Holbert was on the scene with our detectives earlier today uh, and that uh, he shared some vital information concerning the case. After two years of searching, police say it was Holbert who led them to Bordeaux's remains not far from where they were last seen. He'd always been a suspect in her disappearance. Now he's charged with murder. I mean, why today of all days? Why, what finally snapped and made you decide to 
say something and then on top of that how can you wait so long and I mean we literally have been through hell and back and just begging and pleading and praying and just everything trying to bring her home what's interesting to me is from all the clips that I've seen at least is the fact that the police were like oh yeah Nick Holbert led us to her remains but they're failing to mention that David Marshburn the PI mm -hmm. was actually the one who did the entire investigation right. like they're just immediately taking credit for it and of finding course. her and there's no mention of David the PI who actually found her yeah at all it, it's it's honestly crazy to me that he there's not one mention of him I mean he's like the hero in this case he was the one that actually was searching for her when the police had literally stopped and yet there's no mention in any of the media out there. What's crazy to me is the fact that the police, when they went and searched Nick's campsite and Nick's car, that they just stopped after, you know, casually looking through it. I mean, there was no forensic testing done, as far as I know, on his vehicle or any sort of next level investigation conducted. I mean, all they would have had to do is do some forensics on the vehicle. They could have confirmed that Kelly had been in the vehicle and he had used his vehicle to transport Kelly's body. So cadaver dogs, I mean, there's lots of ways to detect if a human body's been inside a vehicle and none of that was done. It just seemed like they did this very basic questioning, basic investigation. There was no true interrogation that happened because Nick is not some sort of evil genius by any means. He's just, no. I mean, he's a just a, a dummy, honestly. He's just... He's a horrible person. Yeah. Sick, evil person. I mean, he's, it wouldn't have been that hard, I feel like, for the police to put a little bit more effort in and interrogate him and trip uh, him up in his stories. Yeah, especially considering his past. Like, I don't get it. I don't. Past. Yeah, it's like they didn't. It's like, what excuse do you have to not look into this dude after he's been convicted of heinous crime? Yeah, it's glaringly obvious that it was Nick from the jump. Like, as soon yeah. as you know he's a convicted sex offender, the police had the information right away i mean i'm sure the first thing they did once they figured out who the last person they do a search of his name and record like oh this guy's a violent sex offender he was the last person to be seen with her i just can't believe that they they brought him in they talked to him a little bit and then they let him go because obviously they didn't have physical evidence but it's like you continue looking for that like they could have surveilled him. i mean there's so many other things the police could have done to expedite the process of finding kelly that just didn't happen and, you know, there, I think there's a interview clip out there with David Marshburn, the PI, and he was like, somebody asked him, do you think this case would have been solved had you not looked into it? And he said, no, he thought that this case would have went cold and Nick would have never talked. Nick would have never said anything. And he was even worried that eventually Nick may have just, you know, killed himself and then no one would ever know what would happen to Kelly. So the fact that David, the PI, played such a big, big role in this, this case and ultimately found Kelly is, is just truly remarkable, honestly. And I mean, shame on the police for not doing more and not expediating this, this process at all. So an autopsy was conducted on Kelly and it determined that she died of blunt force trauma to the head, but it also said that not all of her remains were recovered which this was a big problem for the family. So they personally hired David Marshburn to go back and look for the missing remains. 
Apparently, they were missing a major bone in her neck that showed she was choked. David and his team did go back to the site and locate more human remains, and he turned those over to the police. But he hopes the next time the police improve their technique. It's crazy. Like it's they, ridiculous. The police didn't even do a full, like they told him, get out of the way. As soon as he finds like, get out of the way, clear the area, and then they go on, they take credit for it, and they get to say they recovered Kelly, and yet they didn't even do a thorough job there. I mean, it just shows you the incompetence of, of this police department, clearly. But Kelly Bordeaux was buried at the Mount Peace Cemetery in her hometown of St. Cloud, Florida. She was laid to rest with full military honors, and her funeral was actually televised. Froggy Bottoms, that dive bar is now closed. And as for Nick, he was obviously immediately indicted and charged with Kelly's murder. And about a year after her body was found, Nick pled guilty to her murder. That way he would avoid the death penalty. He was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. And the family worked with the DA's office to get a plea deal that they thought would still honor Kelly's life and serve her justice. At a sentencing hearing, the Hensons finally got to address Kelly's killer. Kelly's mom actually took the stand and spoke to Nick directly. Here's what she said. Mr. Holbert, could you look at me for a minute? Please. I don't understand. How? You could take a beautiful young girl for pretty much no reason and beat the life right out of her. Initially, Holbert told authorities he'd given Bordeaux a ride home after they left the bar, but he later told a private investigator he killed her. During the hearing, as more details were shared about the case, Bordeaux's brother interrupted Holbert's attorney. He needs to leave. He was then escorted out by bailiffs. I, I figured I would just assault him, actually. That's honestly what I thought would happen, is I would just assault him. So it was a good thing that the judge kicked me out. Before being sentenced, Holbert apologized to the family. The judge said he appreciated Holbert's help with the case, but it doesn't change his actions. As for closure, the family says absolutely not. Even in the pine box, that, that's justice. Even when I get then, the phone call from the prison, that's, that will be justice. Honestly, I kind of agree with them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, he, he, he got out of the death penalty, which... That was probably what the family was pushing for. And he, because he pled guilty, he got life in prison and he gets to, you know, live out the rest of his days, which obviously everybody has their own opinion on whether or not someone should be given the death penalty or not. But yeah, I mean, I I can only imagine how hard it must have been for Kelly's brother to be in there with that guy. Like, I'd probably want to do the same thing. He's so hard to not want to beat the living crap out of that guy. And like you just heard, Nick apologized to the family, which, whatever. He said he wished that it would ease their pain. But Olivia said she just wanted him to shut up and stop talking because his words meant nothing to them. If not for David Marshburn and his team's incredible work, Kelly's killer wouldn't have been brought to justice. It's very important. The Henson and Bordeaux families got closure thanks to him. But unfortunately, after closing the case, he and his team fell into a deep depression because all they had thought about for the past two years was Kelly. And now it was suddenly over. This is, this is honestly crazy. Kelly Bordeaux's murder was actually David's first case as a PI. And thankfully, he realized he has a gift for investigating. He and his assistant, Marcia, still work on new cases, and they've also added a tracking dog named Rico to work alongside Kaz. 
The Henson family is infinitely grateful for his help. They even gave him Kelly's military dog tags as a sign of their gratitude. They know that they can never bring Kelly back, but they can go on with their lives knowing that she's resting peacefully and her killer can never hurt anyone again. And they still treasure all the memories they have of their sweet Kelly. Ultimately, I just think this case is a, is a great example of just how important the role of private investigator is. Like a lot of times people and families can't afford private investigators because obviously private investigators have to, you know, it's their job. They have to get paid to do it. But the fact that David just did this basically out of the goodness of his heart and just felt sort of called to it to finding her is, is incredible. I mean, I really don't think this case would have ever been solved if it weren't for him. Truly. Yeah, I don't I don't think so. I don't think the police really were doing that much. I think they just kind of were like I think honestly the police may have even thought it was possible Kelly just left on her own accord right. and just didn't want to I mean they said it was just a missing persons case. They never said it was a homicide case at any point, I don't believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously until after they found Kelly, but I just can't believe they did not like connect the dots sooner, didn't try to push down the clear path yeah that was nick holbert i mean there really was no other scenario and they even investigated justin and her ex-husband as well and they both had alibis they weren't even in the state so seemed like after that why not just go full in on nick holbert Mm -hmm. i mean i get that pis you know and david did some unconventional methods to try and you know get information but at the same time it's like police detectives they do all sorts of undercover sting operations i mean there's lots of of tools and tricks that they could have done and probably have gotten to the same result with nick had they tried a little bit harder so yeah i think i think honestly the fayetteville police department kind of failed the bordeaux family here and thanks to david they found kelly they at least have some answers and they have some answers and you know some closure obviously yeah they feel like there's you know justice isn't necessarily served he's still alive and in prison but at least they know at least they know what happened to kelly but i'm gonna go ahead and wrap up today's episode there let me know your thoughts in in the comments below if you're watching on youtube you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. You can always tweet us at Mile Heart Pod. Let us know your thoughts on the episode. Do you think that the police failed Kelly's family like I do? I want to know. Also, what are your thoughts on private investigators? I know there's some out there that are not as good, or you know, there's definitely some scammy ones out there that say they're going to do this or that, and they don't actually end up doing anything. But David's a real one, that's for sure. But that is it for us today. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, keep taking your mind. Mile higher.